0: You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. How you feeling this morning, Ethan?
1: You know, (laughs) I'm still waking up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Really? I get that. I get that.
1: But it's also, it's a dreary day. It is a dreary day. it really holds sway on my state of being. It
0: does. I was literally thinking that when I got up this morning. Yeah. I was just feeling, not down. Down is too strong a word, but... Like oh, it's bleak it's outside.
1: Lower, I'm gonna lower gear. and I
0: feel bleak in my yeah. soul, <laughs> which sounds worse than down, right? <laughs> that's that that's putting it all a bit strongly, but I think part of the struggle is I just recently came back from Florida, yeah. my seminary coursework, and just so sunny and. <laughs> Everybody's just so happy. Are they down there? Well, they are. I don't. That's interesting. You know. Well, it's interesting because there's a pretty big population of folks who come down there for classes that are from the far north, where it's just always cold. Yeah. And they are in a always thrilled to be there. <laughs> like, just so happy. So interesting. Anyway, sharing their joy and uh, yeah, and then I come back to this. It's, mm. I like the palm trees. I'll give you that. Palm trees are nice, beautiful. Love yeah, them. and Florida in the wintertime especially, is great because it's like, oh, yes. it's it's like you know, three degrees here, but it's seventy three in Florida. That's the <laughs> way to be. Please give me more, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I get the I get the weather thing. That makes sense. But here we How are. How about you? Oh, I mean, you know, other than what we just covered, <laughs> I feel pretty good. Good news. Yeah. Yeah, got in my new shipment of coffee, Ooh. so been drinking that. It's good. What, do you know what you got? The blend is called Joven by Sparrow. Oh,
1: yeah, we talked about this.
0: Yeah, it's good. I'm nice. enjoying it. Uh,
1: yeah, Sparrow's, I've had one or two things from them, and it was a positive experience. Yeah. Nice looking bags. Yeah. Not that anyone cares at all. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got some nice design work going on. <laughs>
0: Ethan the graphic designer cares
1: have you seen that the
0: font <laughs> it's a beautiful serif i actually don't know what their font is so it is a serif welcome, serves, i yes. i mean i had a 50/50 shot of <laughs> Getting that (laughs) correct. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's either serif or sans serif, right? Like, that's basically your options.
1: (laughs) Oh, you can do scripts.
0: (laughs) Oh, excuse me. See, this is... (laughs) I speak of that which I know not. I've darkened counsel (laughs) without knowledge.
1: (laughs) Your head was in the right place. It was good, though.
0: Thank you. What is it? So, like, script would be... So, like, serif, sans serif would be, like, traditional print, and then script would be... I
1: mean, you know. You do know. I I know you said it with a question mark, but you're on... Script is like a cursive script. (laughs) And a serif has the little feet. On its edges, yeah. and sans serif is clean and simple. Black letter is like Old English, a lot of extra lines and Ooh. swashes, calligraphic. Um, okay. If that's how you pronounce the word, I only see it written because fonts don't say their so, <laughs> they're on the page. But, uh, yeah. And
0: what is that called again? That that particularly old English black pack. letter black letter okay yeah
1: if you were to if you were to say look up black letter fonts that's your category Ooh, gotcha yeah. gotcha yeah yeah yeah
0: yes yeah, so that would be like when I go to places that have old English Bibles like the yeah. the old Wycliffe and whatnot that would be if you were gonna find have. a
1: font to match that you'd be searching in the black letter category gotcha yeah.
0: how about that uh, I just learned something new
1: yeah nice It'd be really embarrassing I was wrong. <laughs>
0: We get in a letter from somebody. <laughs> Dear <laughs> Ethan.
1: But based on the you know the commerce experience of buying fonts, that's what I've
0: uncovered. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone's gonna be an expert in that, it's you.
1: Sp- spending money on fonts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. oh, well, on a completely different topic. Yeah. <laughs> so um we recently did an episode. In which we covered the four different "quote unquote" kinds of churches. Remember, pure, mm. imperfect, corrupt, and false. Right? <laughs> it's real dark. Yeah, it does. It starts really like, oh yeah, yeah, and then by the time you, you're done with it, you're like
1: sharp decline.
0: <laughs> I have not preached a false gospel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just a little oh, reference man. there. But um, so naturally, as part of that discussion. We made note of the fact that there are no perfect churches on this side of the new creation, right? Yeah, you know, right. That's, it, that's they're just fair. not there, you know? Churches are full of sinners and they're pastored by sinners, as <sighs> Eugene Peterson would say it. So, you know, just not perfect. But that fact might lead some of us to think, are we just supposed to settle for being imperfect then? Is that it? Well, I mean, you know,
1: because it gets. Second best, right? Second best?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just stay here. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, well, the resounding answer to that is a firm no. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. When you actually put it that way, it would. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're striving, like the Apostle Paul said. Exactly. You know? So there's a phrase from church history that I found helpful in thinking through that particular issue, though, and the different ways that the church can be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And that phrase is Ecclesia reformata semper reformanda. Which is Latin, of course, right? Of course, we all know our Latin, right? Uh, yeah, I yeah, know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I know it all the time. I say it all the time.
0: <gasps> That's a joke. Is like. Theologians probably most theologians don't either. I'm not going to impute <laughs> the Ph.D.s no. because sure. they have to know Latin. Sure. Everyone else, we just throw the Latin phrases around because that's, this is why. The one who knows? I, know. yeah. I don't know. Here's the point. Okay, it's a Latin phrase, and what it means is the Church reformed, always reforming.
1: Yeah,
0: I like that. that. Sounds nice. Yeah, nice and I'm like, the right. You know, yeah. gets uh, a, gets it a nice dynamic. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's like a nice little turn. I like this.
0: Yeah, because it's saying like we've recognized the error of our ways and we're trying to conform, reform, according to the standards of the Lord. But also, we're not there, so we are always reforming. Exactly. You know what I mean? So uh, that's basically what that phrase means, right? In case you're wondering, like, well, what in the world are we getting at there? It just means, in short, that the church should constantly be examining itself under the light of scripture and asking, are we worshiping, living, and thinking in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and in line with what he said to us? So, to be very blunt... (laughs) A church should never say, we do X, just because that's what we've always done. Mm, Bad news there. Yeah, that is. You are in for a potentially bad time. Yeah. If that's the case, that's just an awful reason all by itself to keep doing something, right? And I would want to qualify that because it's quite different from saying we do X because that's the way we've always done it in accordance with God's word. So you know, somebody may ask, why do we always preach a sermon? You know, like, why is the expounding of God's word something that makes its way into our services every weekend?
1: It's a little deeper than just yeah. We did well, it we it just always time. done it that way,
0: yeah, <laughs> right? Like, you know, well, that's what we've done for a while. Like, well, no, like we've always done that, but we've always done that. Not just Horizons Church, but like the church historically has always done that because God's word tells us to preach the word, expound the scripture, give yourself publicly to the reading of the word. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of that. But to get a little more into the actual details of what we're talking about here, about how we should always be reforming, right? And always seeking to make sure we're in line with what God has revealed to us. I will take an example, as Chaim wants to do, from our Catholic cousin. So we'll Uh. pick on them a little bit here. So uh, Vatican I was this huge council of the Roman Catholic Church that convened in 1868. And a lot of things happened there. Lots of stuff that we don't have time to get into. It was a massive council. It was like four years in the making. Big deal, (laughs) big deal. But I do want to draw our attention to some comments that were made about papal authority there, about the power that the Pope possesses Over, I was trying to find another P there to really make it alliterative. (laughs) I was doing that like I was just like throwing off there. Over,
1: over, oh, oh, because the word over is, um, I can't figure that one out either.
0: Yeah, but anyway, at any point, it's about the Pope, right, and the power that he possesses. So here is an article from Vatican I. Wherefore, we teach and declare that by divine ordinance, the Roman church possesses a preeminence of ordinary power over every other church and that this jurisdictional power of the Roman pontiff, the, Rome, the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, is both episcopal and immediate, both clergy and faithful of whatever right and dignity, both singly and collectively, are bound to submit to this power by the duty of hierarchical subordination and true obedience. And this, not only in matters concerning faith and morals, but also in those which regard the discipline and government of the church throughout the world.
1: Na- naturally.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now there is an example to oversimplify a bit of a church that says we keep the authority of the Pope because that's what we've always done like we just this is the case okay by divine they said by divine ordinance right and actually if you read through the rest of Vatican I on papal authority there are several sections on it naturally Mm. and they talk about this in such a way as to frame it as if I think actually the exact words are almost something like the authority of the Roman bishop has always been recognized throughout the church. Always. (laughs) Right? Right. The small problem with that is that historically, the bishop of Rome was not viewed this way. What Really? Yeah. Like very, very legitimately. Not always viewed that way. So that means that even if your excuse was like, well, we do it because we've always done it this way. The church has always done it this way. Well, one, that's a bad reason. But two, you're also wrong. <laughs> like, wow. That has not always been the case. The doctrine, if we want to call it that, of papal authority has developed yeah, over the history of the church.
1: That doesn't it It is any. not
0: what the Roman church has always said it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have this great pastor theologian named Gavin Ortland who... I was reading and watching some of his stuff, and he observed five, and there were more than this, but he he just talked about five major instances in the 4th to 8th centuries which were pretty formative centuries for the church, where churches outside of Rome did not submit to the Roman bishop. And actually basically rebuked him for trying to get involved in matters that didn't concern him. What?
1: Yeah. So they they kind of held him to account or? Yeah. Wow. That's, I've never even kind of heard about, I didn't even know this was a thing.
0: Yeah, no, that is definitely a thing. Yeah. So the definition and dogma of papal authority as it's represented in Vatican I and other councils it was not always recognized that way in the church. Yeah. Which is their problem, is their... I don't want to get on a tribe here, but, like, there's no room for the development of the dogma, according to their own definition of it. Yeah. So, like, if there's development, it's automatically, like, canceled out. Like, you you just said there was no development. Like, you it's said like, it was always this way.
1: Things have to break and go wrong so that you can develop something in order to address those cons- Like, that's just yep. a naturally a part of something. Yeah. Interesting choice.
0: Yes. And you may ask, why do I bring that up? What does that have to do with the discussion at hand of, like, always reforming and trying to make sure we're in line with Scripture? Well, when the Protestant Reformation happened in the 1500s, the Protestant church refused to acknowledge supreme papal authority. They were adamant that the Pope is not the vicar of Christ. Like, he does not represent solely in himself Christ on earth. And he does not have ultimate final authority over all the churches. So, the Catholic Church was already saying things similar to what was articulated in Vatican I, and the Reformers were like, listen, the authority of Rome's bishop was certainly not always like this. They were quoting the Church Fathers and saying, look, Mm -hmm. like, this is not accurate. This is not the case. And so what they did is they reformed. They sought to bring the churches in line, not with some whimsical standard that was like, oh yeah, this is what Rome does and therefore we're going to do it. It's like, no, no, no. What does God say we ought to do? And let's do that which is a frequently misunderstood part of the Reformation, is people think, oh, look, Luther and the gang and everyone was trying to create a new church.
1: This wasn't Vatican the sequel. No,
0: no. And, and all along, their stated goal always was to not create a new church. It was to reform the church, which is why it's called the, the Reformation. Reformation. It, it, they had no no desire to create something new, quote unquote. But anyway, another topic for another day. Now, on the flip side of this, when we talk about reforming and trying to make sure we're in line with scripture, that is not to say that we ought to ignore church history, councils, creeds, confessions, or the like. I mean, that's that was part of how the reformers worked their reformation was by pointing to the church fathers and church history to saying like, look, Rome, you're out of step here with what <laughs> historically the Christian faith has held to for its history. All this is to simply say that councils, creeds, church history, confessions, they are not the highest authority. They submit to Scripture as the highest authority. Scripture is the norming norm, and then you have other norms that are normed by Scripture, right? You like all that, that use of the word norm? That is quite a That is, isn't it? <laughs> all I have to say is like, for example, the Apostles' Creed. I am completely comfortable saying the Apostles' Creed is binding on the church. Okay. Like, if you are going to be a Christian who confesses the one true faith, handed down once for all to the saints, the Apostles' Creed is a binding creed. But the reason is not because, oh, it's a creed and the church liked it. The reason it's binding is because it is an accurate and faithful summary of apostolic teaching. So, like, whatever faithfully conveys the message of Scripture is binding because it finds its authority and root in scripture ultimately, not by virtue of the fact that it's simply a creed that the church, like, oh,
1: the church came up with this, therefore. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. This one, however, the one I'm about to bring, might not be a good example. (laughs) You might need to rehabilitate the discussion.
0: (laughs) I love rehabilitation (laughs) and reformation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So when you you first translated the Latin, like church reformed, always reforming, it reminded me of... Okay everyone just hear me out before you email please hear me out <laughs> It put me in the in mind of this kind of desire to be continually Available to deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Pause, everyone. <laughs> it's okay. Because um, I will grant that it's a word with a lot of baggage for different people. Yep. But it's a flexible word, so just bear with me. Because yep. I probably don't mean what you think I mean if you're starting e- to sweat.
0: It's e- yeah. <laughs> Ethan like, Ethan's going to abandon the faith.
1: No, exactly. It's not yeah. it's not what I'm saying at all. But I uh, I think, for example, I don't like tradition for the sake of tradition. Sure. And part of that is like, it is uh, a desire of mine to kind of, I don't know, I I kind of bristle at things sometimes unnecessarily. (laughs) Um, Hey, yeah. But I want it to mean something. I want it to have weight. (laughs) So simply inheriting that is not enough. It's not enough to me that it meant something to someone else. That's Mm -hmm. nice. It can be a nice thing. It doesn't have to be you know a negative. I don't have to be against it. It's just like, okay, cool for you. Um, (laughs) You know? But I think more to the root of this, I get This weird kind of delight when after years of having maybe an untested theological framework or Mm -hmm. or idea of something or concept that I have this moment of revelation when someone much wiser than I will ever be (laughs) who has actually done the hard work explains a piece of scripture more clearly and Mm -hmm. with greater context. And that transforms the understanding that I once held to yes. kind of dispel the misconceptions I really was so sure of. Yeah. I don't really have a problem using a word like a deconstruction in this context, but I think always reforming does an equally maybe even a better job of, of kind of explaining that. Because like, yeah. I super love that we should be constantly examining these things that we hold dearly under the light of Scripture. Yeah. Like, to, to like, does this hold up? Yeah, is it really you know up yes. to you know, does it measure up to what we should be holding yep. as opposed to us? I think becoming kind of lax and assuming because we hold it and because well surely we believe all these other things that our assumptions are definitely correct. They're yep. definitely n- probably not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like. We're, we're not the perfect version of the church. Right. We are still imperfect, but yeah. we should still strive to examine and reshape and reform our misconceptions. Yes. And I think that is, like, so delightful. Yes. Really.
0: I find that an invigorating task because it means yes, there's always exactly. something to learn and grow toward and strive toward and yeah. something more of God to learn about in that case.
1: It's like kind of a relief. Yeah. Because it's, I don't know, I think there's something relieving about recognizing that I held on to, like, maybe baggage or, or just unhelpful beliefs that mm-hmm. that kind of that weighs you down and when you're able to kind of shed that and be like actually that's not the heart of christ yeah you know mm-hmm. let that let that reshape you let that yeah reform you yes unless, unless of course you have heartburn about that word too <laughs> i find it helpful <laughs>
0: Oh, but yeah. And I think um, as a final, even example of that very pertinent is I've mentioned his name on this podcast once or twice, but probably the greatest systematic dogmatic theologian of the Protestant church of the last century was a guy named John Webster. Mm. You just weren't going to be smarter than him. Like, there's just no way. (laughs) I mean, like, you just no one like if you go back and like watch videos of him or listen to him talk you're, you're struck by his humility like mm-hmm. very much he's not one of these bombastic guys who's wearing all his learning on his sleeve right. i mean he can talk cogently about anything it feels like he just truly like a ap- brilliant brilliant and he died tragically early this was six years ago and he was only 60 61 oh this is all um, more recent than i would have yeah and he was working on his own dogmatic systematic theology that like everyone was like this is going to be a big thing for the church hmm. and he died before he could even like get the first volume done which is sad it's interesting um, i wonder
1: what if he died before we could turn it into an idolatrous that's
0: maybe that was yeah like the lord was sparing him his legacy <laughs> and us but it's interesting because if you Listen to him talking, especially the last couple years of his life, there are these issues that you would think a man like he had solved. And he's like, Oh no, I've arrived at my conclusions on that, and I'm not worried about investigating that anymore. Like, even something like his doctrine of scripture, which was hugely important to him, obviously. But you hear him talking, and he's talking about like going back and rereading some of these guys like Aquinas, John Owen, and saying, Yeah, no, like I don't think I understood what they meant by this, but now reading them again, I think I see what they're actually arguing. And it influences me here and here. And I think I'm going to have to change this here and this here. And it's like, wow. wow, like that's you don't figure a guy of that age and that caliber of intellect is you know, that's, rereading guys like that and thinking, oh, I'm going to change my mind on something like yeah, this. But that's hard for
1: any, I mean, that's hard for anyone to do in yeah, private. Right. You know, honestly, to accept that, because what I feel like it is so tempting to be like, no, surely my first interpretation of them was correct. And I've maybe I've got to double down and don't look too closely because I don't want to be wrong now. Yeah. But like that's that is that's the wrong goal.
0: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. So, yeah, the business of being reformed by the word of God is never done, I guess, yeah. is the point. Like and that hopefully is actually something that. In inspire some excitement and some hope because yeah. like that means you just have the infinite depths of God to continue to plumb and there's always more to learn and know about him and in the words of Paul in Ephesians 4 we are to continue to try to conform ourselves to that Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheme. So, that is the the goal, is not to say, I've arrived at this perfect solution and I'm not going to let that go, but rather to say, am I conforming? to the image of Christ. So, yeah, there we have it. Very nice. Yeah. So, thanks as always for listening. And if you found this content helpful, if perhaps it's brought to mind some areas where you'd like to do some further investigation or anything, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net with questions. And if you want to leave us an honest five-star review, we'd appreciate that. We would. That would be great. Be you nice. can help us yeah. reform our practices <laughs> if we need to. Or you can just confirm us in our... <laughs> reform my <laughs> negative self-doubt. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time.